Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. There is a text I'm going to jump to first of all that's not on PowerPoint, so you will need your Bible or device for this. Psalms 145. I was looking at this just yesterday, and I wanted to, uh, to highlight this today. Our series is holy. He is holy. And Psalms 145, David was grappling with this very theme. Psalms 145, verse 1, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. You get the idea? He's running out of words already. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Let me do verse 3 again. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your, you get this idea, the generation's going to talk about what, then he stopped and no, I'm going to talk about it. Then he says, the generation's going to talk, hmm, no, let me talk about it. You got this going back and forth. I I really like the way it's written. Verse 6, they tell of the power of your awesome works. I will proclaim your awesome, your, your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. It just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, I just, I got ramped up when I read that. And I thought, let's just start our day off with, uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So, Father, we just pause right here and just, we declare that, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Lord, there is no greater thing we can do than to praise you. You don't receive any strokes. You can't become greater. You can't feel bolder. We have to be the ones to praise you. It does something for me when I praise you. It opens up a channel that's all clogged up when I begin to praise you. And so, Lord, as we praise you, not simply by all the works, but as all being an awesome God, that, Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to freely this morning to praise your name. God, this is a privilege right here. We acknowledge that. There's places in the world they don't have this kind of privilege. We do. We can come, we can lift up your name, and we can bring honor and praise to you. And so, Lord, thank you for that privilege we have. God, I pray your word would be enriched to our hearts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to continue on on this uh, holy theme. And... Uh, This actually marks, I think, week number five that we are talking of holy God. To understand, and not between the ears necessarily, but to, to drop it into our hearts where we 
develop an insatiable hunger and thirst for God will become a turning point in your, in your faith. Uh, if I've done anything, I hope I have been able to, from character after character in the Bible, show you how when they encountered that higher dimension of God, that their lives changed from that moment on. And it affected the generations that even flowed from them. The love of God will attract you to Him and start you on your journey. But it's the fear of the Lord that will take you through victorious and will change the generation following. It's that we don't worship Him in how we've simply created Him to be worshipped in. And, and I'm going to say we've all done it. You can't not do it. Because of the culture, uh, your upbringing, how you've observed other people, it's hard to separate your, yourself from the cultural influence you've had in how you worship God. And I don't, I'm not saying it's bad, but it doesn't, the culture can't picture and portray God as He truly is. And there, there grows that each one of us, that's why He says, ask and you will be given, but seek and you will find. You must pursue as you would a treasure. And when you begin to obtain that treasure of relationship with Him, sell everything else you have. <laughs> it's not worth it. Right? I mean, Jesus used a parable. He said, when you found a treasure in the field, you got rid of everything else. That's worth everything. And when we discover that, now see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We have a lot of treasures in this world. And God may be one of them. But we are dividing him. Now, if you don't think that's true, just look at where your checkbook goes. Look at where your money flows. Look at where your time flows. Look at where the passion. What do you think about most? You'll know where the treasure is. Okay, it's a very simple way to figure out where your treasure is. It's not complicated. We don't want you know that expression, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. Not in a, in, a, in a place where I believe when we become heavenly minded, we become extremely valuable on this earth. Because we now take on a new a new commission. And so this, this, this really, I think, does change everything. To embrace God as holy. And so I grabbed a few quotes this past week. I'm going to throw them up here for you to see them. William Garnell, he said, We fear men so much because we fear men so much because we fear God so little. So if people are are pulling your strings, right? Um, just have more of the fear of the Lord in your heart. And I'm not talking about a fear to run, a fear to come. When you're afraid of God, that's the enemy at work. When you're drawn into his presence because you can't do without him, that's the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, great writer, great minister, said this, nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy concept of God. John Kelvin, nothing is more powerful to overcome temptation than the fear of God. Oswald Chambers, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. And this is a probably, if I pick one to be my favorite out of the five, you have to read this one a couple times to get it, though. The next one, Richard uh, Alanay says this, he who knows what it is to enjoy God 
will dread his loss. He who has seen his face will fear to see his back. I'm going to do that again. He who knows what it is to enjoy God will dread his loss. He who has seen his face will fear, will tremble to see his back. You'll do anything. The song we sang, you'll do anything that he won't go. You'll do anything that his presence never leave. You'll do anything. Like Moses would say, God, I go nowhere if you don't go with me. I go nowhere. I will stay until your presence. You hear the expression waiting on the Lord? That's what's happening. I wait in your presence and I will pursue you and you alone. And nothing else will do. Nothing else is a substitute. It's nothing compared to you. I'm going to throw that quote up again. He who knows what it is to enjoy God will dread his loss. He who has seen his face will fear to ever see his back. Mm. Well, I'm already emotional. Hebrews chapter, Lori loves it when I get emotional. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. It stirs your heart. Okay, let's go. Hebrews 11, 24, we do have this in front. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about Abraham. I've been taking a different character. Next week, I'm going to talk about a character that's not so commonly known in the Bible, but there's a whole segment devoted to a story around him. His name is Balaam. You've heard of Balaam? You know, the talking donkey? Gonna, next week, the last week together, I wanted to have our finale around him, interestingly enough. So this week, I'm going to spend majority of time talking of Abraham. He's the father of the faith. He's the one who God called out of a land that God would say, I'm giving you a place. I'm giving you a people. I'm giving my covenant. It's going to come down through the line of Abraham and your sons and your sons' sons. So we're going to talk about Abraham, but before we do, I have to go back to Moses. Moses, he's the go-to on this. Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament talks of Moses. Here it is, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now here's the takeaway, verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as, great, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Verse 26. I'm going to reread that. Verse 26. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And he understood the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, I spent a bit of time on this one because I had the assumption of what that reward was. The reward is that God would provide for him. The reward was that he would spend eternity with God. Maybe immediately the reward was the promised land. He just looked forward. He just needed to get into that land flowing with milk and honey. Then I realized I I was wrong. That's not the reward Moses was looking forward to. Let's think about it. Let's just think about this. Exodus chapter 33 is the story where God told Moses, Moses was up on the mountain. He came down off the mountain. He had the tablets of the Ten Commandments. 
But the rest of the tribes under Aaron, the priesthood, the rest of them, as he came down off the mountain, they had gone into revelry. Remember, they had created this calf. They called it Yahweh. They called it the most sacred one. They called it the great Elohim. I am the I am and the same name that they would use for God and God alone. And so when Moses came off, God says, you need to get down because the people have gone back to worshiping other gods. And the people were, were moving about in revelry. They were, they were partying. They were, uh, they were partying in a way that was not acceptable, okay? There was uh, unacceptable sexual behavior towards one another. All in the name of God, can you imagine? Moses came off the mountain. He had just been in the presence of the Lord. What a contrast. What a contrast. He comes off the mountain in the presence of the Lord. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And, and he came down. He was angry. He broke the Ten Commandments. Um, there was a great slaughter that took place. And even though that was in many ways abhorrent to see that slaughter, when you compare it to the holiness and the awe of God, it was nothing. Because the people were about to lose everything, every generation that would follow them. They had no idea what they were doing. And Moses was so taken with this. And in that moment, there's this dialogue between God and Moses. You, you can read of it in Exodus 33, 15. There's a dialogue. In this moment, God's anger is, is being spilled out. And God is basically telling Moses, he says, Moses, he says, these people just constantly sin. We can just leave them here. And you can go to the promised land. That's what he was offering. He says, Moses, I offer you the promised land without the people. I offer you that. And then Moses' incredible response, if you haven't marked it in your Bible, you need to mark it so you see it. His incredible response, verse 15, he says, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. Church, I'm really glad that God never gave the Israelites that option. He gave Moses the option to go to the promised land. But he, with, without God, kind of thing. But he didn't give that option to the Israelites. You know, if the Israelites were prepared to go back to Egypt, then you can guarantee that they would have chosen the comforts of the promised land without God. I want you to think about that for a second. They would have chosen the comforts of the promised land without God. But Moses had his sights set on the promiser. Not on the promise. It was on the promiser. See, we like to declare the promises of God. Might I suggest we might be a little off center on that. Maybe we need to declare the promiser. It's him I seek. We're in a world that we are after things. We, we, we vie to get ahead. You know, you get ahead in your job. You get ahead in your school. You get ahead in relationships, whatever it might be. You're clawing at it. And in so doing, that competitive spirit, uh, you can lose sight of what really matters. And sometimes we're wanting the promises, the blessing, but we forget the blesser, the promiser. And Moses here, listen to this. I put it on PowerPoint for you. Moses had his sights on the Lord and would go nowhere without him. That was the point. I mean, remember, Moses was in the desert. He suffered with them like everyone else. He was hungry when they were hungry. He was thirsty when they were thirsty. He was hot and sticky and sweaty when they were hot and sticky and sweaty. He suffered in the desert just like them. But there was a big difference. Moses didn't complain. 
because he was not about the comfort of the moment. He was focused on his God. Huge difference. He was focused on his... People that complain get their eyes off God. And he had his eyes fixed on... The, oh, it's easy to complain. We all do it. But may you have some checkpoints early into the complaining. Checkpoints of going, what am I doing? God, I come before you and I trust in you. And we get our eyes back onto him, focusing on not what he can do, but who he is. And uh, Moses was offered a way out. He was offered to, to fulfill his dreams without the people, and he refused. I want to suggest, like Moses, one method God will use to test you is to make you an offer he expects you to refuse. That offer to Moses, he wanted him to refuse it. I'm going to say that again. One method God will use to test you, and you go through tests. One method is to make you an offer he expects you to refuse. The offer may initially promise greater success, but you must ask the question, what price will you get that success? To get there, what will it cost here in your heart to get that? An offer. Only those who tremble before holy God will choose that which seems less beneficial. Many will choose the benefits over him. This is the difference of the heart. Moses had a holy awe of God. The children of Israel didn't. They wanted to get relief from their suffering, and that's what drove them. Beware of the relief from suffering. God will put a test that he expects you to refuse. So likewise today, many people today have made, even coming to church, a club. Churches are filled today. Churches are filled yesterday, evenings, tonight, throughout the day, around the world. And it's not necessarily because there's an insatiable appetite for a holy God. It's because, well, it's the place to be. It's a, it's a safe place. It's a good place. There's, there's fun there. There's mentorship. There's fellowship. Maybe needs are being met. Maybe it's out of sense of conviction because if you don't go to church, you know, God's going to get you somehow. These may be professing Christians who no more see the holiness of God than those who never, ever set foot inside the building of a church. They've never embraced God's holiness, and yet the churches are filled with them. As members of God's church, the club, if you would. Why should they fear the Lord? Because they can have everything they want. I want you to listen to Jude chapter 1 verse 12. He had a prophetic word. Jude chapter 1 12. Let's read it. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. Beware. Beware. God says, come into the place of intimacy. The beckoning to know him. The beckoning to experience him intimately. To be, you know, not everybody is a friend of God. You know, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend. He calls me friend. He no longer calls you just his sons and daughters. He calls you friend. But that friendship that friendship is a place of intimacy. Not everybody who's called by his name is in that place of intimacy. Let me show you this. The manifestation of the holy fear of God 
is immediate and complete obedience to God, regardless of whether we see a reason or benefit or how painful it might be. The word intimate, he calls it an intimacy. The word intimate comes from two Latin words, intus and intimus. It, intus is within, very secret. Put the two words together, intimate means innermost secrets. And to be intimate, it's a two-way street. To be intimate with somebody, it can't be just a fantasy towards them. you got to have a two-way street. It's got to be flowing both directions. So we pick this up, how David viewed, or how God viewed King David in Psalms 139. I'm going to read it from the Living Translation. Follow with me as I read it. This is how God is viewing David. And you can use this. This is how God views us. He's showing David this. Psalms 139, he says, David talks, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Think about that. God knows everything about you. Oh, my mom used to tell me that when I would get into trouble. God knows everything. Verse 2, though. You know when I sit or stand, when far away, you know my every thought. Oh, he knows right inside your thoughts. Verse 3. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. And then just a few verses later, God says his thoughts of us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Now, I'm going to pause for a second here. Number one, I'm going to ask you a question, and I need an answer. Can God lie? So if he can't lie, the very nature of God, then when he says his thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand on our seashores. You've been to the ocean? You've seen the sand? Worldwide. His thoughts towards you go beyond the grains of sand on the seashore. And he can't lie. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. His thoughts towards you. Wow. He deeply desires to be close to you. He's not a distant God. He's not a God of wrath. He's a God who desires to know his family, you. Yet true intimacy can only be realized when both parties know each other. So he already knows you. We should long for that same closeness ourselves. What I'm trying to do here this morning, I'm trying to stir up some hunger here. I'm trying to stir up some hunger. It's okay to be radical for Jesus. It's okay when you are singing. Guys, it's okay. Men, it's okay to lift your hands and move. If it's for him. If you demonstrate your love for him. It's okay to say something out loud. To shout it at times. It's okay, because here he's calling us to long for the same closeness of his thoughts about me, outnumber the grain, sand on the seashore. He's inviting me, come. James 4, 8, God says, come close to me. Come close, come close, come close, he says. 
get to know me, long for me, hunger for me, worship me, come in close to my chambers. You could just hear the cry of a holy God's heart. God saying, why do you remain at a distance when you have the capacity to know me? Why are you staying on the fringe? Why are you staying out there? Why do you hardly ever crack this thing open? Why do you not stand before me and worship me multiple times throughout the day? Why do you not seek me with all your heart? I am here waiting and I will welcome you into a depth you've never known. Come. Here's what keeps us. Because we've got other appetites being satisfied. And God is relocated to a moment in time on Sunday or maybe a 15-minute devotional time or whenever we do it. We've relegated them to a moment in time. Listen, don't, don't be considering the people around you because it's you must answer the call of intimacy. Don't be looking and saying, well, that person's not drawing near. That's up to them. I had to learn that a long time ago. Am I going to exceed the, the faith? Am I going to press deeper than my mom or my dad or not? Am I going to compare myself to that person? Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a friend of yours. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Why compare to them when you can compare yourself to what God's wanting you to do? And so his invitation, his cry is, come, get to know me. Why do you remain distant when you could be intimate with me? That last song that they sang. Wasn't that a great song? Wasn't that a great song? I just love the words of that song. I'm just looking to see. There's no words to that song. Maybe there is words. Do we have words to that song? Is it on here? It's on there. Okay. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe. Wow, he doesn't owe you anything. Ah, oh, more than anything that you can do, I just want you. Hmm. He's, the invitation, would you come? Would you come? Would you draw near? I'm believing one day our prayer meetings will be the most highly attended meetings we have as a church. I'm believing that, okay? Because it gets our opportunity to get together to, to just talk with him and fellowship with him and let his Holy Spirit just begin to breathe out into our hearts and into our lives. That there'll be something that you just can't keep the body away from. We'll be canceling things. Somebody will say, I'm getting married on Saturday. You say, well, make sure you're all done before the prayer meeting. Because <laughs> I'm going to the prayer meeting, you know? Right? You know, family reunion. Okay, you got to have it early in the day. You got to have it on Sunday. I, I'm messing with you a little bit. But I'm, that, that, that goes really high on the grade of our heart's desire. That we would know him. Oh, people talk about it all the time. We talk about tap, 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 tap. We talk about how we love him and we worship him. We go through the motions. Uh, I had somebody send me something this past week, and I was looking at a song, and, and it was a great song. They were just pretty excited about this song, and, and it was a great song. Nothing wrong with the song. I guess there's always just a little bit of heaviness because I was watching the stage. I was watching the platform and the people, and that's the, the way they were singing it. So I was, I was listening and watching at the same time. And my heart was just a heavy, God help us not to simply do a performance. Because you could slide that into a Justin Bieber. You could slide that into a Drake. You could slide that into a Taylor Swift, right? The, the, the things going on. And God, I pray it's not. But Lord, may their hearts, would they do this in the secret chambers of their home? Or be careful we don't do it in front of people. 
that we're not putting on a show. Because you can. And what happens is, subtly, your heart's moving in a different direction. Instead of just before him. Remember, he'll test you. He'll test to see if your heart is a heart that is seeking after friendship or seeking after what you might receive. Are you after the promise or are you after the promise? Moses made it really clear. God, we go nowhere if your presence doesn't go with us. The children of Israel would have said, yeah, we'll go to the promised land if you don't go. We just want to get out of here. What's the difference? Wow. Psalms 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Let me flip that around. Those who fear him will become friends of him. Not everybody's a friend. Those who fear him will become a friend. The awe of the Lord is the beginning of an intimate relationship with God. Intimacy, two-way. Two-way. Now, if you were to ask me, do you know him? Let me ask another question. If you were to ask me, do you know the Prime Minister of Canada? I would say yes. I would say that I know his name. I know where he lives. I know a little bit about his family. I know a little bit about his political stance. But I don't really know him. That's all I know. It's a super peripheral knowledge of him. Here's the issue. Sometimes we say we know him. We say we are lovers of him. But that's the relationship we have. We know about him. We've heard people preach about him. We've sang songs about him. We've gone to Sunday school and heard the stories about him. But we don't know him. Not as an intimate friend. Not as an intimate friend. We know about him. The Lord God says we cannot even begin to know God on an intimate term until we fear him. Until we fear him. We can attend services. We can come forward to every altar call. You can read your Bible every day. You can attend the prayer meetings. But if you do not have a holy awe and reverence of God, you're simply climbing the rungs of a religious ladder. That's what is happening. It's happening all over. My cry is, God, I don't want to be there. I want you. I want to know you. So what does it take to come to that place of God's friend? Now we're going to go to Abraham. We're going to close our time with Abraham. Who better? Abraham in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Abraham, your friend. So Abraham was called friend of God. He was called your friend. So let's go back. Let's do some backstory on Abraham. Let's slide back to Abraham. Is, I mean, most of us, we slide forward to get to 75. But let's slide back to when he was 75 years old. God came to Abraham. We're going to look it up if you want to grab your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look and we're going to read a number of verses here. How do I get to be that intimate friend of God? Good question. So, 75 years old, Abraham and God had made a covenant. Within the parameters of this covenant between God and Abraham, God promised Abraham Abraham's heart's desire. And Abraham's heart's desire was for a son. 75 years old, his heart's desire for a son. God and Abraham enter into this covenant. God's portion was Abraham, I promise you, your heart's desire. I promise you a son. It would be almost 25 years later. He's 99 years old. Abraham's wife becomes pregnant in her old age. 
and Isaac, the promised son, is born. Now, you imagine the joy of having waited all those years for the promise, looking ahead, waiting, and then the promised child comes. And whenever, again, intimacy is proven through tests. So here's the test. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. So far, so good. Verse 1. Now it gets dicey, verse 2. Then God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, (laughs) and God's setting him up, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Here it is. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, these words would have no doubt have been shocking. Everything goes against it. The character of God himself. Abraham had a couple choices here. He could break covenant with God and say, no. No. He's the promise. I can't do it. He would break covenant. Or he would keep covenant, obey God, and break his heart. Choice. Choice is his. But because Abraham so immensely had the fear of God in his heart, breaking covenant was never a consideration. He would not break covenant with God. You get the impression he knew this was a test. We know the details of the test he didn't. All he knew was this was what God was asking of him. Church, listen, sometimes God puts a a deep desire of your heart before you to see whether or not you will follow your dreams or if you will obey his voice. He will put a deep desire of your heart and he'll ask you, what are you planning to do? Will you you follow in obedience to me or will you break covenant to do it your way? And many times, too often, we say, but God, you'll understand if I break covenant. But what happens, you've just forfeited the fear of the Lord. And you forfeit an intimate friendship with him. You forfeit it. I love Abraham's response to God's most difficult command. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, a couple of things I'm going to draw attention to. You note that early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two servants, his son Isaac, and then off he went. I notice he didn't talk to Sarah about this. Just saying. I don't know if that's good, bad, okay? I'm not, okay, be careful. I'm not advocating husbands. You do something like this without passing it by your spouse. At least we need to pass it by maybe some, some godly advisors. But listen, if God speaks, we need to listen. God told Abraham to take a three-day journey. You think about that three-day journey. Three-day journey. Lots of time to change your mind. Three days to change your mind. You ever make a decision, you get pumped up about something, and then at nighttime, and you go to sleep, and you wake up the next morning, you're going, what was I thinking? You done that? I do that way too often. It's like, what was I thinking? Was I high on caffeine that day when I made that decision, you know? Like, what was in my mind when I wanted to do that and set things in motion? And then you, you get up the next day and you go, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Lots of time to change your mind. Three days, actually. Only Abraham went to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is present-day Jerusalem. 
and he built an altar. He took his teenage son, bound him, placed him on the altar, and then God stayed his hand and says, stop. Abraham, you have proved your reverence for God. How? By esteeming God's desire more important than your desire. There's the, that's the ultimate. Will I obey him or will I simply go my own way? Genesis chapter 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Everybody say those words with me. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Everybody say those four words again. The Lord will provide. Again, the Lord will provide. The original is Jehovah Jireh. You see, with the completion of this test, God revealed a whole new facet to Abraham that had never been revealed to anybody since Adam. Hundreds of years had gone by. And a revelation like this had not been dropped down. But he passed the test. The test of absolute obedience. In the face of your own desires. Your desires. Absolute obedience. The test. And having followed and been true to God. That's why God said that he was a friend of God. He wasn't a friend because he just chose to pick a friend. He was a friend because it was a two-way street of intimacy. God not only knew Abraham, Abraham knew God. And he refused to break covenant with God. His pursuit was to know God. And it was proven through the test of Genesis 22. And in that, he was revealed Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God revealed his heart to this humble man who had become his friend. It's interesting, God wouldn't do this until Abraham would pass the test of holy fear. There it is. We are facing tests, you and I, all of us. We're facing the test of the holy fear of God. We face the test. You will move towards passing and giving up everything to serve him. Or you won't. You will remain at the distance. may not lose your faith. You may still be a righteous person. But you will not know intimacy with God. And you see, when it's the place of intimacy, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about what what does it look like when you're in the place of intimacy. Let's look at Abraham. I think we can answer this question. Okay. So, Psalms 25, verse 14, it says, in the New Living, it says, Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. You want to know why it's worth it? Because he'll reveal his heart to you. Think about that for a second. The heart of the God of the universe revealed to you. Again, this blows my mind. He'll begin to reveal his heart to you. So why is it worth it? Oh, you will be light years ahead of those who want to stay at the fringe. Not in a place of piety. As a matter of fact, the farther you move into his presence, the more humble you find your life is as you become more and more broken before God. And yet God demonstrates himself in a way that you could never have imagined what it was like before. 
So back to Abraham. Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis 18. We were in 22. We go back to Genesis 18. Go back to verse 17. It's a story of God. We, we, they believe it was the angel. It was the capital A in the actual text. They believe it was the Lord, pre-incarnate, with two other angels, came to visit Abraham in his tent. We see this in chapter 18. There's a whole story unfolds around this. I'm just going to highlight it. We don't have the time otherwise. Abraham goes out and he's having a conversation with the Lord. Remember, he's got this covenant going on. And the Lord, he's, he's saying something. He's saying it to the other angels. He's, he's saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham's right there. He's like, hello. You ever been in a conversation people are talking about you? He's like, you know I'm here, don't you? Right? Abraham's there. And the Lord is saying, should I, should I keep this from Abraham? You know why he can't keep it from Abraham? Because they're intimate friends. They're intimate friends. That's what friends do. Something horrific is about to happen, and God is having a conversation. I don't know if I can keep this from Abraham, because we're in a covenant. And so you begin to unfold this. The Lord, in chapter 18, verse 20, Then the Lord said, the outcry, he's talking to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And the Lord confides to Abraham, there's impending judgment hovering over Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just hovering there. Your naked eye, you and I would never see it. Abraham never saw it. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah never saw it. There's hovering judgment over their city. And God is saying to Abraham, here's what's happening. And Abraham is being brought in as an intimate friend with what's about to take place. He confides about the judgment. Abraham intercedes and he goes into this. I'm not going to take the time. But he begins to intercede. He begins to plead on behalf of the lives of the righteous. Now remember a little while later, Moses did the same thing for the children of Israel. David did the same thing for the people in Jerusalem. You can continue to go back where intercession, as you reach out and you say, God, i got to save some lives here. As he brings you into the heart of what's going on. Genesis chapter 18, verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then we continue. It keeps going on. Why does God choose to keep this story before us? He continues to go back and forth. Abraham's asking, what about 40? What about less? What about less? Listen, only a friend talks to God that way. If you're not a friend of God, you don't have the capacity to approach him and make those requests. But if you're a friend of God, that's why you need to be a friend of God. You will stand in that audacious place on behalf of those who are lost, and you'll say, God, no. God, no. It can't happen. God, I cry out. I will stay here. I will beg. I will do what it takes. God, turn back. Turn back the impending judgment upon these people. Only a friend can negotiate 
with the Almighty God, Holy God. God is not set, God's not going, how dare you talk to me like that? No, no, no. It was a test. God delighted in what he was doing. God wanted him to intercede. God was waiting for someone to stand in the gap of the lost and to cry out on their behalf. He's still waiting. He's still. And so Abraham is there begging. He's going, he's counting it down, counting it down, counting it down. A friend talking to the God of the universe who can execute judgment at any given moment. It's not coming from a servant. It's not being disrespectful. Abraham had entered into a negotiation process with God as an intimate friend. And he came down to ten righteous people in the city. And it was obvious that the report of how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah, it was obvious it was true. Because there weren't even ten righteous people in that city. The report was true. It was totally lost. The Lord had found only Lot, Abraham's nephew, and Lot's family. It didn't add up to ten. Now, the Bible says Lot was considered righteous. But Lot was also worldly. Lot had no more insight of the impending judgment than every wicked person in that city. Lot was sitting in the city gates. He had no idea over him was the sword. Why? He was not an intimate friend with God. Abraham could see it because God revealed it as a friend. Lot, still considered righteous, his life would be spared, but he didn't see any of it. He was not discerning. Although he was righteous, Lot was caught unaware of what was about to occur. You see, church, Lot represents the fleshly carnal Christian. Those who lack the burning holy fear of God. He represents those who just don't care. Who want God as a fire insurance policy. But they don't want anymore. He's just a moment for their lives. Their relationship with the Lord is not too different from our relationship with star-struck fans and celebrities. You know, it's just, woo, celebrity, woo, a famous person. And this is a scene where Lot chose to dwell among the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah in the first place. If you remember the story, Abraham and Lot had this conversation. They were too large a group, and one had to live away from the city center. Others would live close to the city center. Lot immediately jumped on that and said, I want to live where all the action is. Yeah, he got to live where the action was. The action was there. It's what people were doing. It looked pretty exciting. It was pleasurable for the season. And there was the issue. He wanted to be where it was happening. He chose to live among the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's interesting also, the wife Lot chose. The children Lot would later father through incest. The children would be the tribes of Moabites and the Ammonites. If you read about them later, hmm, didn't turn out that well. Lot chose what looked best, but in the end proved to be unwise. In contrast, Abraham chose the separated life, holy. That's what holy means, separated. The separated life. He sought a city whose builder and maker was God. Lot chose fellowship with the ungodly over a separated life. Their ungodly ways would whittle away at Lot's righteousness. And eventually it would cost Lot his very seed. His seed would stop. 
Lot's standards were not dictated by God. They were dictated by the people around him. This is where we're struggling. The world around us changing the way we see God and ourselves in life. And Lot was immersed in that. And it would cost him a seat. I've, I've maintained this throughout this whole series. The love of God will draw you to the starting place of your relationship with him. But it's the fear of the Lord that will get your, your seed to the next generation. Because too many people opted in. Lot made it. He was called righteous. But it would stop after him. He didn't have the fear of the Lord. He wasn't brought into that place where he sought God and would become intimate friends with God. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. It says this. It tells us something about Lot. This is in the New Testament. 2 Peter 2, 7. It says, He rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. Then what's the brackets? For the righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and he heard and he embraced. Got lost in it. The day of judgment would soon come upon Lot as a thief in the night. Had it not been for the glory of God and the friendship and mercy of Abraham's relationship to God, he would have lost everything, including his own life that day. And in the urgency and fury of impending judgment, Lot's wife looked back longingly. What was she leaving? She had been warned not to look back. Destruction would come upon her. But Lot's wife had been so influenced by the world, the pull was stronger than the fear of the Lord. Run to God. Oh, you just keep running, woman. Just keep running. Oh, but she didn't have the fear of the Lord. She had the fear of man. She longed for that. She looked back. This is why Jesus warns in Luke chapter 17, 31, Jesus warns that for the New Testament believers, he says, remember Lot's wife. Jesus said this. Luke 17, 32. He says, remember Lot's wife. You want to know what that means? She didn't have the fear of the Lord. She longed for this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're here for the world, but we're not of. Abraham feared God. He was God's friend. Lot lacked all but a small measure of this. Lot had just enough fear of the Lord to flee impending judgment, but judgment would overtake him later. Lot later proved to know neither God's heart. He did not know God's ways. I come back to that text where it talked about Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26. It says Moses was regarded disgrace. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It wasn't the promised land. It was the promiser. He could just see the promiser. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.